makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. Ambete wastelo, chante waste na pechi uzapielo, le unki piki he wastelo. Greetings and good day and welcome, you relatives. I give you hands with a heart of good feelings. It's good for all of us to be here. Since 1992, this is First Forces Radio, and Teokas and Ghost are sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus, or what Americans and Dutch call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Esopus in the lands of the Muncie speaking Lenape. This is an all-native host at all-native-produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org for archive, downloading, and listing. Carrie Kelly, who is of Irish descent, is the author of The American Deep Talks, The Myth of Wellness and How We Can Truly Heal. I actually came across this book and had doubts of whether to ask for an interview because I had my own bias and ones I didn't want to explain to you, the listeners of First Voices Radio. I thought, well, it's just another one of those self-help, the white race books. So I flipped through it and read an excerpt or two and began to think about what else can I read in this book that would catch my eye. And there was a little bit here and there about indigenous peoples and how a different relationship was needed, especially for those who could afford to think they were in a safe, benevolent atmosphere of, I don't know, arrogance at its greatest denial. And in the, the classic, classist bubble of being American exclusively meant you could get away with anything, including being able to afford personal health through extracting other cultures' well-being staples and modalities and claiming them as personal property but not looking at the privilege and supremacy indoctrinated into their daily lives. So we speak with Kerry Kelly, the author of American Detox, the myth of wellness and how we can truly heal. And we pick it up with this an introduction of Kerry Kelly, who's also the host of the prominent podcast CTZN. And you can learn more about her work at kerrykelly.co or ctzn.well.com. 
and we begin with Carrie Kelly. So I don't know where I'm going to go with this, but I, I'm really glad that you're here, Carrie, and that thank you. I'm so honored to be here. I, I know that I'm I'm not the first to talk about these things, but I'm excited to be a part of the conversation. And I, I I'm here for the ride. So take it wherever you want to go, and we'll live into the questions together. <laughs> so, Carrie Kelly. What got you into thinking about this? I, I know that your experience is having privilege and, you know, all the American amenities of how it is to be successful and probably how it is to be a failure. That's the formula given to us. Within that formula, to me, I find there is no responsibility. There is only privilege. Yeah, I mean, I'll, sh- I'll, I'll answer the first part of your question, and I I feel like I started asking hard questions about where I came from and what I had learned and what was true after 9-11. I lost my stepdad, who was a fireman, and that was like the great disruption in my life. Um, And everything up until that point was sort of like me following the rules that had been assigned to me, right, by by. Uh, dominant culture and by modern society. And, but at that point, and that was like the great gift of that moment, it, you know, it sort of disrupted the delusion that I had bought into and sort of put me on this path to asking really hard questions and, and of course, to seeking healing, right? Like that was sort of what started me on this like desperate um, search for answers Um, and for meaning and for truth, like real truth and not the truth that I had been told and taught Um, and for, and for what it meant to heal, you know, what, what it meant to put yourself back together, what it meant to grieve, what it meant to transform right after an unimaginable um, loss like 9-11. And, you know, it was in the asking questions and the getting quiet that I think the discomfort, quite frankly, started to emerge, right? It, or even dissonance, right? Like I started to feel this sort of like rub, this tension around why I got to be well, why I got to have access to all of these things, right? Why I got to assume authority in different places and climb the ladder and um, and have all of this proximity to power and privilege when so many people were struggling to survive, much less be well. And that was sort of the the divide. That was sort of the dividing line for me that that got me on this path of writing this book. You know, I, I read the introduction and one paragraph among many stood out to me. I'm going to read a little bit from that. Inequality has been the purpose of the so-called American dream. For as long as we had, as we've had one, Colonization, slavery, capitalism have resulted in a legacy of unequal conditions that runs as deep as well water. A recent study found the U.S. to be the wealthiest among developed nations and the most unequal. While certain populations are making choices about organic and GMO free food, the rest of the country is trying to figure out how to feed their families and pay their bills. The truth is that we, the big we, are not well, not by a long shot. Yeah, right. And um, and you need only look back um, and, and ask, like, how did we get here? I mean, that was like the big question that emerged for me after 9-11. Like, how did this happen? How did we get here? And and in the like unpacking, right, in the like the 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 excavation of the truth of how we got here, of the the history of of colonization and genocide, of slavery and exploitation, it's no wonder, 
we're here. It's no wonder we're here. Um, and so these are not new problems, right? These are these are remnants, right? These are old wounds that haven't been addressed um, and or healed or faced or reconciled or uh, been held accountable for. Um, and and you know, so much of my my inquiry, you know, in American detox. Um, is is an inquiry around like what is it going to take to heal? And I think it's going to take truth telling, it's going to take digging, it's going to take remembering, right? What we have forgotten, and healing what has been lost. And you do, and you do ask some of those questions in the beginning of the book, like where, where do you people come from? Uh, the inherited, what have you inherited from colonization? Right, that's a big question among Native people, but far too many Native people fall into the mind aspect. Well. They owe us, and that that would open up a whole barrel barrel of monkeys to me. It's like okay, there's treaties, there's legalities, but all these standards go back to what was um, I guess planned for us. These these are the ways that we have to get along in a society that really doesn't accept the poor, the outcast, because we're not adhering to this so-called privilege, and that's meted out in you know how healthy. Or the privilege because the bubble that they run around in is just a bubble. It's just that. Yeah, and and one of the questions I ask is: Are are folks who ha- who are privileged or who have more proximity to access and to resources are they really healthy? Are folks who are indoctrinated in sort of ideologies of separation, supremacy, and scarcity really healthy, right? Or or are we inhaling to- you know this toxic air, right, and being shaped and by these toxic ideas? Um, only to like perpetuate and participate in our own demise. And so like, what is healthy and healthy for whom? I have a lot of friends otherwise than than native people. And there is a certain plateau that makes a conversation go very short when it comes to native history. In other words, prehistory is not American history, Right. right? And so when I get to a point where you know, what? what is getting in this way of really ex- exposing or, or opening up wounds is the grieving. I have found, as a Native person, there is not that story underlying, you know, underneath the surface, I would say guilt and shame. Yeah. It's not there. And that, I think, I fe- I'm finding that gets in the way of a lot of moving on to either in healthy, healthier attitudes and it seems that these natives should be guilty. They should have shame. There's a grieving that needs to be mm-hmm. uh, performed, or I don't know how. Uh, there's not a ceremony for grieving in this society. Yeah, that's right. A lot of it has been erased, right? And I'm even when I think back to my Irish ancestors and how how you know crying, the ritual of grieving was such a big part of of um, our culture, um, and that you know and that that was erased or cut off, right? Especially as people assimilated into whiteness and into um, the the American project. Um, but but some of what you're saying is resonating with me because you know I think about not just grieving but just feeling and how. So much of Western culture has invited us to become disembodied, 
and dissociated, right? We're invited to distract ourselves or numb ourselves, right? We're told to, to not, fe- to, to always be seeking comfort, right? And to be rejecting discomfort. And I think, and I want to just admit that, you know, as a part of my own journey, especially after 9-11, that was, I think, some of what got that, what called me to wellness was wellness sort of dangled this carrot, right? That I could escape my grief, right? That I could transcend the pain, right? That I could, rise above the the complexity and the messiness and the political, you know, confusion of that moment. Um, and, and obviously, you know, that that's one of the myths, right. That I think, uh, pulls us away from the truth and from one another. And so, yeah, so grieving is, I think a part of the experience of being human, which is all about like being vulnerable and feeling our bodies and feeling our feelings and allowing mm-hmm. ourselves to be impacted, by by life right by nature by each other but dominant culture doesn't want us to do that and wellness in particular and new age spirituality is also right pulling us away from that truth that's very astute of you to say that because my question was leading to this and but i have to um interject something that is i know in our in in lakota language Mm -hmm. that i speak is um, we don't have a word or a concept for domination. And that really seems to, you know, be a stumbling block for a lot of people who offer this. And I, I know it's, it's a nice thing, it's ear candy to me that uh, those who aren't indigenous often are, are acknowledging the land they're residing on and the people that were there and have stewarded the land for so so many generations, right? And it's a, it's a nice honoring, but there's a there's a spot where Native people are ways to honor the ones who are honoring. And yet we can't do that because the ones that are honoring aren't really speaking the truth. And so this leads to us, Ed, and I would say to extreme in some cases, is, okay, that's nice. It's performative. But now what do we do? What What's going to happen after you apologize? Right now the Pope is in Canada. Right. Yes. And he's supposedly going to apologize to Native people, but nothing has changed because it has already been done. And so there, where's the practice that we're not looking at that erases indigenous people's history and cultures? Yeah. And I don't know that um, it's funny, like what I'm thinking about, you know, I've been obviously indoctrinated into um, Euro Christian Western education. Yeah. Um, and I'm only now just trying to like, call back my own, you know, um, ancestry and indigeneity. But when I think about what I've been taught, I wasn't taught what repair looks like. I wasn't taught about accountability, right? And when I think about accountability, where I go immediately is to kind of the punitive and carceral forms of accountability that are so central, right, in Mm -hmm. in dominant cultures and systems. Um, But but I was never taught what it is to repair. I was taught, to your point, how to apologize, um, but I wasn't taught how to go back and make right, how to pay a debt, right, Um, how to mend a wound, how to come back in relationship, Mm-hmm. Um, how to remember, right, and return to one another. And th- those mm-hmm. weren't um, practices and rituals that I, I grew up around and that I was taught. And so part of my practice right now, quite frankly, is 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 to be in um, 
an inquiry about that and not in isolation, right? Which is another mm-hmm. thing I think dominant culture asks us to do is to figure everything out all by ourselves, but in, in relationship and in conversations like these and asking like, what needs to be done? What do I owe? What is my right role and responsibility in this particular moment, right? In in the past and, and in the future. It's, it's constantly feels like a, a lack of struggle to confront the truth. It, it's beat around the bush rather than, you know, do what's required. We, we look to do our best and now what? The indigeneity in all of us is, seems to be not so purposeful anymore because we're seeking healing outside of ourselves. And I want to yes. refer to your, your chapter two, I think it is. And one word could say the whole chapter here, broken, period. Mm-hmm. The idea that that we are broken things that need to be fixed, um, right? And that and that myth and how that's perpetuated not just by culture but by an entire medical industrial complex, right? That's that that's designed right to control bodies and and to um, and and you know I wanna I wanna admit because one of the things I feel like I'm exploring through my own lived experience in this book is how I've internalized so many of these ideas, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just ideas out there. It's not as simple I think as calling into question, right? The myths um, that that we've been taught or told. I think. It's also like a deep internal investigation. What are the ways in which I believe myself to be broken? What are the parts of myself I have rejected and denied, right? And and so, you know, so much of what I learned from the wellness industry about healing was to perfect the self, right? It was to deny all that is, you know, um, suffering and in pain and uncomfortable and imperfect and 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 to like, you know, perfect this like superhuman, I would call inhuman self. And that that is the ideal of healing, that healing is transcending the human, right? Which we know is ridiculous and is actually not why we're here. And so, so much of my own practice has been to unlearn, um, not just for all of us, but within myself, even unlearn the idea that I am broken, unlearn the idea that I am unworthy, right, of, of wholeness and of love and of relationship and of you know, source. Um, and, and that, I just want to say that part has been really hard, (laughs) you know, like conceptually, like I get it, but my behavior tells a different story. Right. Right. Thank you for that. You also have a, one of the subjects is health is moral imperative as a moral imperative. When, when I, before I was thinking to ask that question, I was thinking, wow, we grew up in, in a culture in, in, a native culture where health was free. And now even the gadgetry of health care, you know, when you go to classes that are retreats, spiritual retreats or whatnot, there's gadgetry there. There's an altar there. There is, you know, all these things, uh, machines even. And I think you said it earlier, the indoctrination allows you to have these props to say it's okay because we have an object that we can control and right. you know put our sacredness in, but yet it's it's very opposite where I'm coming from. And I, I really like the fact that you references was Robert Crawford. I think yep. he talks about healthism. I think it was in 1980 or so. Talk about yes. that a little bit. 
Yeah. So, um, well, I love that you're bringing this up and I feel like these are not new ideas, right? The idea of health as self-determination as like you get to decide for yourself what health is, um, right, is obviously a very like is old wisdom. Um, and yet that's not what we're being sold, right, by by capitalist driven, you know, health companies and the health medical industrial complex, even the idea of like what real complex, even. constitutes health, right? How it is defined in medical journals and the DSM-5, right? Is 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 not necessarily representative of the whole of who we are. And so this idea of healthism that Robert Crawford coined, you were right exactly in 1980, describes health as an ideology which believes that health is the sole responsibility of the individual and judges people's worth according to their perceived health. Of course, health according to whom, right, is the question that Robert Crawford was asking. But also this idea that your your worthiness, right, is connected to some external metric, which is, I think, what you were saying of, of what, what equals health, right? And we see so much content and media and articles and memes and tweets about this coming at us from every direction. And so much of what I learned from like researching this chapter was that folks, I mean, of course there's like science, right? And what we know of like nature and what we've learned of the human body and what it is to, to, and what it is to thrive. And I think all of us are having a really unique experience of that within ourselves. But I do think that it's, we need to question the definition, the definition of health, the the construct of health that has been sold to us, um, and then I think we get to decide for ourselves what health means. And 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 so then the question is, well, what does it mean to create a culture that celebrates self determined health, right? And I don't know that that we in the Western world know that because that's certainly not the mandate of health and wellness as we know it. Thank you for that too, Carrie. But isn't it the same like New Ageism or religiosities or whatever's coming next, the next trend of how to say something? So I'm going to ask you this question about, is there a mutual responsibility beyond just humans? Because <laughs> we're, we're thinking anthropocentrically all the time in this society where that idea or those concepts don't exist in a lot of native societies, but... The subculture of who we are as Native people has often led us to defining our way of being into the Western society so that we can basically don't bite the hand that feeds you, you yeah. see. So we have to give up ourselves in order to be an American citizen. Do you see where I'm going with this, Carrie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the question Um you know, and I feel like actually so much of what I focus on in this book is is remembering our relationship to one another as humans. But I think the remembering is really about about all that is life affirming. Um, all right, like all living things and the earth. Um, and you know, when I think about like what it means to be well or what it means to be healthy, and I don't mean it in like the construct term, but for people to like be an inquiry for themselves. I think we have to consider the context that we're in, you know, um, is the planet healthy, right? Are the systems that we are a part of healthy, right? Um, are the animals and the plants that we interact with healthy? And, and what does that mean about our own state 
of, of well-being. And I think so much of how we contemplate health and wellness um, uh, in sort of like the Western tradition is it is so deeply individually focused, right? It's not even relationally focused um, or focused on, you know, one's, you know, social determinants of health or, or zip code. It's really about um, uh, me, myself, and my choices, um, which is which is deeply futile, you know? So, so much I think of what healing is calling for is, is sort of a, a remembering our relationship to all life. Thank you. Anne Lamott started <laughs> one of your chapters perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. And like, okay, this is another one. You see in indigenous cultures, there's no word or concept for perfection or perfect. And I think that is, as as she says, is the oppressor. How do we un-oppress ourselves, so to speak? I mean, part of it, I call it like the great lie, you know? Um, um, I think a big part is to expose the lies, you know, and, and to like acknowledge them when, I mean, it's, this is such a fascinating conversation that just, I'm just thinking about how, how much Western culture has manufactured that didn't exist before. (laughs) That is like, that is like false, you know, and, and, um, and mythological um, and harmful and violent and, and perfectionism is certainly one of them. It's not just a construct construct. I think it's a function, right? Because when people buy into perfectionism, this, this, this idea that you can strive and hustle and compete and climb and, you know, um, towards an impossible destination, it only keeps the system thriving, right? It, it upholds the system. It keeps it in place, right? And so you've got all of these people climbing this constructed ladder, right? This made up rickety ladder, this collapsing ladder that's that only keeps the machine going you know, in the way that it was designed. And so, so much I think of, of healing from, from that lie, right, is rejecting it, right, rejecting the lie. You know, for me, so much of that came from really examining the cost, like what has striving for perfection cost me, you know, and it cost me my body, it cost me relationships, you know, it cost me purposeful work, it cost me things that mattered to me. And that was the way in which I was able to start to really work with it and reject it, right, and betray it. This next question really has to do with what I see a difference in cultures and language and how we communicate. Yeah. Not you and I, but because we, we kind of under have that understanding. So I'll go back to where the older languages in this country and Indigenous peoples, there is no word or even a concept for I, me, my, mm-hmm. mine, or ours. And yet, when I when I first went into the dictionary to find what that word, what that what does it mean? I found 243 words to describe self. And I often say it to people, in order for America as it is to get over, you know, moving beyond the stumbling blocks is that we have to get over ourselves. Name one of your chapters. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, you know, and and when I was going back through history and sort of researching the idea of, you know, obviously I was starting with like self-help and the the way in which the wellness culture has has been so individuated, right, has become so siloed and isolated and focused on like the personal, right? Um, 
Um, you know, one of the things that obviously looking back and remembering history reveals is that, you know, America, the United States of America was born out of the Enlightenment, right? And this idea um, of the glorification of the self, the self above all things, the self that is supreme and superior, the self that is separate, right, from, from nature and from all life, and how that that seed, right, really like rooted itself, not just in, our, in this country, right, but also um, in the hearts and the minds of so many people in culture, in our institutions, it became entrenched, right, in many of the spaces that we move in. It's, you know, and the way that I understand culture, which helped me sort of move through a lot of these questions, is that it's the air that we breathe, right? And so it becomes unavoidable. We get, we get intoxicated, right, mm. by this idea of self, the pursuit of self, the exceptional self, the self-made man. Right. Um, and um, and how that um, that seed really blossomed as the wellness, the Western wellness culture came to be. Right. Um, and 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 how how much of a toxic characteristic that is of of what we see now in a lot of wellness and new age culture. Right. Um, 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 you know, millions of books and courses um, and, you know, tons of money invested in the the perfecting or the idolization or the glorification of the self that is divorced um, in consciousness, um, in capacity, right, in creativity from everything and everyone around that um, and, and how that is really the wrong direction. I mean, we're seeing now, I think, the, the cost of, of denying our interdependence <laughs> um, and leaning very heavily into this idea, this, this myth of independence or individualism um, on our country and on our collective well-being. And we'll continue with in the second half hour with American Detox by Carrie Kelly. My name is Teoks on Ghost Tours. This is First Voices Radio. And welcome back to First Voices Radio. My name is Teoks and Ghost Horse. You know, we're gonna play a song that we've often played and even premiered in, in Turtle Island, maybe. Something I really um, enjoyed over the years and even the interviews with this this man, Vince Fontaines, and his final work, album Code Red, in the fall of 2022, will be released by Warner Music and the signing of that band, Indian City, and the first official song release and a plan to re-release Star People, featuring Jim Cuddy, who sings the vocals. So please follow Indian City on Facebook and install that app. This is Star People. We're on the road, we're leaving now Gonna find the place they call tomorrow Tomorrow It's the place we dreamed about If we go, there ain't no doubt They'll follow, they'll follow Suddenly we've come this far I realize there's so much more to this life This life I believe in you and if you believe in me we're there by daylight Take me to the stars We can never go too far Too far 
People by Indian City and a tribute to Vince Fontaine. Well, now we return to our interview with Carrie Kelly, author of American Detox, the myth of wellness and how we can truly heal. So yeah, stay with us here on First Voices Radio. Uh, this second half is uh, to me very revealing, very much needed thought processing. And here we go with Carrie Kelly. So are we um, as Americans, learning how to be Americans, the dream that comes and is given to the world, is it really denying self when we, we, we don't want to say we're, we're not narcissists in a way, if you can understand that? You know, well, I'm not, but yeah, we have selfies all the time. Right? Oh my and that's gosh. Not, that's not a sign of narcissists because I want to be, I, this is how beautiful I am. I want to sell myself to you through jobs, through career, as you, as you say. Well, you know, and so much of like what we see play out on social media is that, you know, in many ways, it actually doesn't feel real. 
unless it's been presented or curated in a particular kind of way, right? You could have a baby, you could have a birthday, you could have a job promotion, you know, you could have a, a discovery, whatever it is, right, that that um, is an expression of your being, right, isn't valid or worthy or deserving unless it's been seen and celebrated and presented to others and, and how, um, you know, how self-centering um, and intoxicating intoxicate and this and the loop of that right and then it becomes like an addiction that you just like you're never whole right you're never validated you're never seen unless you have this constant validation these constant likes from other people this this affirmation that you you deserve to exist and be in the world and so it's a real like ugly and vicious cycle that we're caught up in and and I want to say that it's become so normalized that I think to opt out of that you know, it can feel almost existential for people, right? To like reject, to pull yourself out of that that pool, um, I think can can be really disorienting for people. And and I think this whole idea of detox, right? Of 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 kind of dismantling and deconstructing and disorienting oneself, which is I I believe the necessary practice, I think, I think will come with, right, a lot of discomfort. And until people are willing to feel the discomfort, right, of not engaging, right, of not falling for these myths, of not getting caught in these narcissistic loops, right, of not buying into the myth of uh, separation, supremacy, and scarcity, I don't know that we're going to get out of this this mm-hmm. trap. The formula of conflict and antagonism is also in Western society. And when I go home, I can say, home, I'm from this reservation or that reservation, and in the context that that we're talking about, I'm enjoying this this conversation. By the way, Carrie, thank you for that. Yeah, but also me you're too. Able, you're able to handle these these topics that you're you're talking about the wellness beyond whiteness. So when I go home, I'm like, wow, look at these native people. They're, they look brown. They look red or whatever color we're supposed to be. But they're they seem to be. I think maybe the TV had something to do with it. I don't know. Now the computer, but they seem to be more white than white people. They've accepted and drank the Kool-Aid. And that is showing me, wow, what an addiction. And you talked about it, this addiction, this addiction. Well, and I'll share, um, you know, there's this great article by a sociologist named Bobby Harrow called The Cycle of Socialization. And and what she writes about is... um, the extremely pervasive and cyclical and persistent, like this kind of nonstop onslaught of what she calls training. She's like, we are being trained even before we come out of the womb, right? Because we're already being born into um, a, a historical context, right? We're already born into these constructs, um, this deeply unequal um, and unjust society, right? So we're shaped before we even come out of, of the, the womb, right? And then we're being shaped from every single direction, right? Uh, we're being shaped by, by, from our, by our family, right? Family culture but also family wounds, right? We're being shaped as soon as we enter institutions, whether it be hospitals or civic centers or schools, right? We're being shaped, right, by institutions. And then, of course, to your point, we're being shaped by media. And media these days is coming at us from every direction, every Mm -hmm. direction, right? And so it's, 
it, it like when I read that and, th- and then it's being and then she said there's a thing called enforcement and then it's being enforced. Right. You're rewarded when you assimilate, when you're obedient, when you comply with the assignment. Right. But if you're not right, if you reject or betray the assignment, there are consequences. And so this cycle, right, continues. It is, she, she calls it persistent and pervasive. And when I read that, it was not lost on me how hard it's going to be for us to, to get our head above water, right, given how much um, toxicity we're swimming in. Um, and so it's no wonder what you're describing. It's no wonder, right? That that because we are we're deeply immersed. We're like um, we're like a tea bag in tea, you know, in this really toxic soup. And and so to me, this it feels like a deep um, and essential calling, right? For mm-hmm. us to to expose the soup, to expose the air, right? To expose the forces, right? That are that are trying to keep us in line, um, mm-hmm. and keep us in our assigned roles, and keep us obedient, so that we can be begin to be in a practice of new behavior, be in a practice of constantly choosing to do something different. You talked about addiction and hitting bottom in that addiction cycle. That you have to realize where we are. And as a people, as quote unquote Americans, is that that history of getting to where we are is not a very long 500 years or so. But there's also, I wouldn't say a cure, but a way to, to live with all the trauma that we've all experienced. The Europeans coming here and everybody else being beckoned to come here because it's, it's better, land is free, et cetera, et cetera. So we're constantly looking for that painkiller, so to speak. And you can find it in, in anything here. It actually distracts you from a consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I think you alluded to it earlier, Carrie. It puts us into a conscience of whether or not you're doing the wrong or the right thing. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, I look at the tree, I look at the, the, the dog or the cat or the bird. Well, you say we need to be connected. And I'll say, well, there's not a word for connected. I know the, the etymology of the word. But there is also this mitakoye oyasi. To us, that's more than relationship. So the dog is in consciousness, in consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's not having a conscience, whether it's doing the right or wrong thing, but it's relationship. Where yes. humans now, because of our way of living, have, have disconnected ourselves out of relationship. Again, I'll bring up the mutual responsibility, not just yes. to other humans, but to the earth. Well, and it's funny, I... A lot of what, you know, a lot of the the messaging I feel like I hear in a lot of new age and wellness spaces is that we need to get reconnected. And even that word feels so wrong. Like it's, it is already, you know what I mean? It's like, we've just forgotten, right? Um, and so what does it mean to like, remember our connection, right? Our inherent, you know, undeniable connection to one another and to all life. And so even that word always like rubs me. Like, it's like, there's no reconnect. It's like, it is, it's. It's isness, right? It already is. Um, it is connection, and and I just want to like. I love what you were saying about addiction, and I'm constantly learning about addiction and and how to move through it. And you know, when you said that, what resonated for me when I when I think about the first step that we are power we are powerless, right? I don't think of it as we are powerless, that we don't have power, like personal and inherent power. I think about it in relationship to control. 
we don't have control, right? And how addicted, especially white, you know, um, Western people are. And I feel like this this behavior, right, goes back to the, you know, the the you know the the colonization, like that kind of like coming in and taking the entitlement. Um, that resulted in theft and land theft and genocide and, you know, and so much exploitation and destruction, but this like this sort of like toxic addiction to control um, that I feel like white people in particular are not conscious of, but are literally organizing their entire lives around. How do I control my daily everything? How do I control the outcome? How do I control my family? How do I control my children? How do I control this person? Even I think when we think about, you mentioned earlier before we got on the call, the, the helping culture, you know, even when I we think about the history of helping, so-called helping, white saviorism, missionary work, um, right? That the 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 under the underneath motivation for so much of that so-called helping was control, right? Controlling bodies, controlling resources, right? Controlling conditions. And so anyway, so I just, I just wanted to name that because that has been an essential part of my own recovery has Mm -hmm. been to, to, to acknowledge the ways in which I have been trained, right? To attach, to grip onto control, to desire for control. And the more that I can unhook from that, right? The more that I can be in right relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm going to refer to a friend, another author, Micheline Duclef. She wrote mm-hmm. Hunter, Gather, and Parent. She was an Oh, NPR... yeah. I think I listened. You just had a conversation with her. Yes, yes. And I just listened to it. Yes. Thank you. And she talks about that, the question of weird. What does weird mean? And she laughed and she said something. It's Western educated, industrial, rich democracies. Love right? that acronym. And she said, yeah. And those, he said, we're the weird people. That's what we come from. And she said that. 12% of the world is weird. In other words, white, white, she said. But 12% of the world has tested themselves. 96% of the psychological research has been done on white people, middle class and others. And that has been applied to the other cultures as how they should behave according to the 12%, according to the 96%. So that's another saviorism that you talk about and you know, you talk a lot about that under the banner of being the savior. Um, mm. It has come to a point where my observation is like, oh, yeah, another salvation point mentalist. In other words, we're looking for heaven, but we can't find it. If you can go with that, I'll, I'll ask probably one more question. And it's been a very good interview. Sorry, but, yeah. <laughs> I'm loving this conversation so much. Um, you know, two things came up in what you just said. One is... Uh, and you mentioned this earlier, this idea of like telling people what to do um, and 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 how much of Western culture has been about exporting what we think is right, um, right? Exporting democratic values, so-called, right? Exporting ideas of, of individualism and the enlightened, right? Exporting capitalism, right? That... Um, and how divorced that is from relationship, right? How often like... Um, that you know that 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 often like you know denies relationship because it, it it's not about listening and asking people what they need and letting people decide for themselves. Um, and the second part of of what you named that struck me was um, 
when you said reaching for heaven, it, it just, I write a lot about this in this book. And I think I had to like reckon a lot with this in my own behavior is this constant seeking, this addiction we have to searching, right? And not, I don't mean like Google. I mean like like searching for the self, right? The so-called self, searching for enlightenment, even like the whole movement around like find your purpose, right? Search for your calling, like this, this chase, like that, that we're called to, that's always um, keeping us running from our true selves, right? Our true nature, right? We're just like running away and reaching outside of ourselves. And so, so much of, I feel like the counter to that, the counter practice and the counter behavior um, is to remember that we already are, you know, and to, and to expose everything that's in the way of our true nature, right? That to me is the detox. It's not about like, it's exposing and, and lifting the veils, right? Um, yeah. Challenging the constructs um, and starting to understand ourselves as, as, as who we are, right? Underneath what we have inherited. You described to me, well, this, this is what human beings have learned how to do is that we become human doings and we've forgotten how to be human being. There's a language that goes with that. So unlearning that, backing up or going forward or just going through it, but not progressing, not in a growth manner that America has been taught. Like we've got to stop and look that how our responsibility is this. And I often describe it this way, Carrie, is I grew up in a very, I don't know, a holistic way of seeing things non-linear, no agenda, no schedule, no no time. So I described it in, in the way I do is that we live in a parabox, not a paradox, a parabox. And people are, what do you mean? You're, you know, well, it's not a tongue-in-cheek thought out, I mean, process that just came off the cuff. But we were introduced to time, which has a beginning and an ending. So that there's a linear sense. And then we were introduced to superior, inferior and that, again, is who's better, who's worse. And then there is the cause and effect that doesn't exist. So now we have a parabox. And all of our language, all of our addictions, all of our privilege, rights to be, whatever, come out of that parabox. And it's so crowded now, people are looking for something outside of that parabox. And what we've been taught with our programming is that we go outside of the box and dare to, to to extract, to bring back into the box. And that's how we're surviving. Now resources are running out. And now we as Native people have learned how to, uncle would say, to protect our spirit. And basically, this is what it's come down to. I love that framework, by the way. Wow. Yeah. And I love this idea of the parabox. You know, and it's, it's making me even like imagine a box with like marble, like how like constrictive that box is how 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 small right that box is how limiting that box is and it's funny like i i think that if people were to see that were to see the way in which this construct right this shaping is 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 actually holding us back and keeping us small they would want to get free but so much of dominant culture encourages us to not see Right. It says, don't look. It says, look the other way, in fact, often. Right. Um, and we saw so much of that right during the pandemic. Right. The 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 the, the lure of conspiracy theory. Right. And people being hooked by like false falsities in different directions because we didn't have the spiritual capacity to hold the truth of what was happening. Um 
And so I really appreciate like that, that framing um, and, and the invitation, I feel like that's inside of it for us to, to, um, uh, to see the ways in which it's holding us back. And what's possible if we were to break the damn box, <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. Because we are born this way metaphorically, but we're programmed to be in a container. So we think in container mentality, right? right. And, and I think about that. But I'm talking with Carrie Kelly, um, the myth of wellness and how we can truly heal American detox. I feel there's another book coming. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about that. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. And I think it is, as, as one endorser said, urgent and unflinching. And I think we have a lot to not discover, uncover, a lot a lot to just learn how to stop. And mm-hmm. a lot of our people say, just stop and don't think. Stop mm-hmm. thinking. That's got, got us in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Stop and what's left is intuitive. My, and I'll give you this one before we go, is... um. My mother, who is 88-year-old, said that we cannot speak Lakota without intuition. It's impossible. Mm. So it describes, describes energy and the motion of the energy. And I think that's the indigeneity in all of us. Yeah. No yeah, compromise. it's em- yeah. embodying yeah. how we be. Yeah. embodying how we be. Yeah. I love that so much. And I so I so appreciate this conversation and what I've learned from you and all of your work as well. And, um, and, you know, so much of what I focus on in this book is, is the detox, but, but, you know, I, I do, I do hold space for the, for the recovery piece, right. Yeah. For the reimagining, for the rebuilding that must come along, right. With the dismantling and the collapsing of these systems. And mm-hmm. um, so thank you for, for holding that vision for us as well. Earth has to take over again, which she is anyway. But we notice Earth is in control. And she can save us rather than us, us attempting to save her. And that's what yeah. I feel with this book is is attempting oh, to get at. Yeah. That is the great that is the greatest compliment anyone has ever given me. I mean, oh. I'm I'm only now re, you know, remembering, right? I'm still in a process of unlearning and remembering and um, and it's funny because I, at, before we came on this call, I was looking out at the tree outside of my window and I, and just like, you know, how much we can learn from nature, right? That nature actually has the answers and can point us in the, in the direction of where to go. And so thank you for that reminder. Um, thank you for the message. It is an honor to be in this conversation with you. I look forward to learning more from you. And th- thank you, by the way, for engaging in this conversation, for teaching me, for and for all the work that you're doing out in the world. Okay. I feel like there's another book coming. I know it. And there's, <laughs> there's another interview to be had here. So I would love thank, that. Thank you for helping me to think in a good way. All right. Thank you. Same thank here. You, Mutuality. All right. All Take right. care. Thank you. Many Americans talk about the great sweeping changes that is happening to their locale, to their towns and cities, and the influx of other people migrating into their territorial perspectives, and how they've survived the onslaught while still deriving their benefits from the same system that deprived them of their culture, or rather, civilizational advantages, albeit land ownership, generations of settler mindset, civil rights, equal rights, etc. When it is really about dismissing the original peoples who are, were, and always will be with the same lands that they are deprived from, regaining 
due to the acceptable and complicit colonization, I find the immediate dismissal of less involvement, the better to not be reminded of what even people of color parrot is out of sight, out of mind, native peoples, relegated to nothingness but a footnote, even to a point of explaining with no remorseful tone of looking for exoneration through the worn-out mantra of, well, I'm part Indian, I'm part this and part of that, and we're all indigenous at some point, aren't we all? And then have the gall to say, this is how indigenous peoples think, or should think in the vernacular of being American, or repeating the same colonial terminology. I'm often hearing the constant reminders of being positive from the very binary complex of opposites that give you no choice but to choose one or the other. In a way, to think positive is to be negative towards those who aren't part of the positive dementia to a point of toxicity. In Earth's indigenous worldview, where binary extremes is not possible and where nothing is ever compromised but always included in the etymology of being real with Earth. Not the rules and expectations modern society defines its existence through informational memory defined by more technical abilities than a natural understanding of balancing without anthropocentric means. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. Thank you for listening to us here on First Voices Radio. Prime time, your time. This is one of my favorites from Archie Roach. Back from the soundtrack, The Tracker, All Men Choose the Path They Walk. Some men are prone to misadventure Questions of guilt aren't always clear Some men run from a fate they can't avoid All men choose the path they walk Some can't be faulted for their reason Failing to just the Righteous 
Destination Finding Their own Serenity